which we'll find in the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 3. We continue on in the exposition this morning, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Let us hear and attend to the Word of God. And he, that is Jesus, entered the synagogue again, and a man was there with a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. And we'll end our reading of the Holy Scriptures there this morning. Please be seated. Do you have soul rest? We might ask ourselves, well, you know, what is soul rest? And I think I need to qualify that a little further. Do you have soul rest with God? Because sometimes we think of something like soul rest, and I think we confuse that with wanting to have no worries or wanting to have an easy life or that we just wouldn't have any difficulties that we've been going through. But really the, the, the more important and basic question is, do you have soul rest with God? That is something different than often what we would want And we need to have our attention drawn to that. Jesus gives Christian believers this new covenant gospel promise of soul rest. Listen to what he said in John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, peace with God is something different than an easy life of no troubles and no worries. Jesus says in terms of troubles, we're going to have troubles in this world. He says that we need to not give in to our fears. And we need to seek first the soul rest that assures us of being at peace with God. The Apostle Paul applies Jesus' promises to Christian believers in the life of faith. In Philippians 4, this is what Paul writes. The Lord is at hand. By that he means the Lord is present with us by the Holy Spirit. I think we can rightly say the Lord is holding our hand. In a way greater by faith than even our physical awareness. Do you believe that? That's what I keep telling you when we have the Lord's Supper. The Lord Jesus is more real to us by faith than these elements are to our physical senses. And so I tell you, when Paul or when Peter writes here, I'm sorry, when Paul writes here that uh, the Lord is at hand, he's telling us the Lord is with us. Think of it as the Lord holding your hand. Do not be anxious. Do not be fretting. Do not be worrying about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplications with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, the very peace that Jesus said he gives us, not like the world, but that he gives and assures our hearts at peace with God. The peace of God which surpasses. It's beyond understanding. You cannot figure it out. You cannot reason yourself to faith and to belief. It's not unreasonable. We take the words of Scripture, but what Paul is telling us here is that the effectual working of the Holy Spirit who is with us, attesting to Jesus' love and assurance and hope and peace with God, he's telling us that it goes beyond what we can understand and it's effectual to us in our whole being. 
God gives us peace. And you can receive and accept that peace that guards your heart and it guards your minds in Christ Jesus. It's not just intellectual. It affects the heart. It goes to the core of your being. Can you explain to someone why living in this world, in this fallen world, with the very struggles, difficulties, troubles, anxieties, and we have them, but that they don't swamp us, they don't overcome us, but there is a settled peace with God that we trust the Lord. Even as we confess this morning in Psalm 30, uh, weeping may endure for an evening. We may wail. We may even cry out audibly in the, the hurts of our soul. But joy comes in the morning. The Lord doesn't abandon us. And so Jesus and, and Paul are telling us about this peace that we have with God that is the grace and the goodness and the favor and the presence of the Lord that He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He sanctifies our troubles to us to prove His faithfulness and to build our faith that we trust Him, not ourselves, not our ingenuity, not our wealth, not our material substance, not the things of this world. We trust Him to keep our souls. That's soul rest. Now, the reason we say that is because Jesus, at the end of chapter 2 in Mark, claims to be the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, do you understand that when Jesus claims to be Lord of the Sabbath, He identifies Himself as the Creator God, the One who made the Sabbath? (laughs) The seventh-day Sabbath, the original Sabbath of creation. And Jesus is claiming that identity, that He indeed is the Creator God, and He has authority, He has power over the original Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath, to give us a new creation, a new Sabbath, a first-day Sabbath. He tells us that original creation was made for humans. The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was originally a blessing. It was made for Adam and Eve, and that included their descendants. It was originally intended to be a blessing for Adam and Eve and their uh, offspring, their children, in the the, uh, blessing and the fellowship with God in paradise without sin, when they had communion and fellowship with God in paradisal harmony. I love that phrase, paradisal harmony. I can't even begin to to think what it was other than in the negative. I can think of what it was not. There was no sin. There was no worry. There was no death. All these things that Scripture identifies for us as sin and the result of the fall and original sin was not. It didn't exist in paradisal harmony. In terms of what was lost, that paradisal harmony... And and along with original sin comes conscious guilt of actual sins. Original sin and actual sins are connected, as we'll see in the passage this morning. They are tested by the universal moral law of God. Do you know the law of the Sabbath is one of those universal moral laws of God that is summarized in the Ten Commandments? We get all hung up sometimes on the wrong things about the Sabbath. What we need to understand is what... It means in terms of soul rest and what was lost in paradisal harmony of the original Sabbath of communion and fellowship and harmony with God, with one another, and with all creation. So that when we begin to think about what was lost of that harmony that was with God, of that harmony between fellow humans and that harmony with creation. It's summarized in the Ten Commandments. We often reflect upon it. Duty to man and duty uh, duty to God and duty to fellow man. And if you look at the summary of the law in the Ten Commandments, it also includes our life in this world in terms of possessions and uh, connections 
and involvement with uh, our own uh, heart and its disposition toward envy or covetousness or theft or hate. So what was lost? The, the Ten Commandments are set in the negative as a summary to tell us what was lost. An original soul rest communion with God in perfect harmony was lost. I know you've heard this quote from Augustine of Hippo before from his confessions. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Doesn't that capture for us the essence of the Sabbath? What was the Sabbath about? Having soul rest with God, peace with God, communion and fellowship, the paradisal harmony of original fellowship with God. So that's part of what's going on as Jesus identifies himself not only as the Son of God and Lord of the Sabbath, but also the Son of Man. He came to redeem and restore fallen sinful humans to soul rest with the Almighty Creator God. This is what we read in Romans chapter 8, for what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, our flesh. We cannot keep the law. We cannot restore that original paradisal harmony. We cannot find soul rest Sabbath by our own works. It's soul rest, it's not soul works. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and on account of sin, he condemned what? He condemned the law? No, he condemned sin in the flesh. And he restores the law. He fulfills it. And he reconciles sinners to the holiness of God through his own righteousness and holiness. There is reconciliation. And that includes a restoring And a giving us of a new and better. From this time in Jesus' earthly ministry, it was a a Sabbath in waiting. It would come to its fruition with His resurrection. On the first day of the week, a new Sabbath for a new creation. Soul rest with God, restored and harmony and peace. Do you have soul rest with God? Do you have that kind of peace that the Scriptures are telling us about? Even in the midst of of a fallen world with all its troubles, with all its difficulties, with all its hurts and its uncertainties. Are there certainties in your soul that keep you at rest and will carry you beyond this life? Jesus Christ, the anointed Savior, by His claim to be the Lord of the Sabbath, promises a Sabbath in waiting as the new covenant pledge of soul rest by the gift of salvation which He demonstrated On a Sabbath day, by supernaturally doing good, saving life, as opposed to doing evil, killing life. And that's where we come in chapter 3 of the Gospel of Mark, verses 1 through 3. The theme of chapter 3, as I presented it to you, is that as the source of the Gospel, Jesus, Son of God, He is the source of the Gospel, the good news. He creates a new covenant family of God by a supernatural salvation. That's what chapter 3 is about. And I want to put that together for you as we go through the exposition of chapter 3. This morning we looked at verses 1 through 6. We read that. We're, We're going to look more closely at it. That a new covenant life starts with a saved life. By supernatural power over death. That is against sin. That power of death. Original sin. 
We, we often think of death and we just think of it in terms of physical terms. But what I want you to see as this develops through chapter 3 is that a new covenant life starts with a saved life. Saved supernaturally with a supernatural power. It's beyond human ability. And it's a power over death, not just physical death. It's a power over the death that came from original sin. It's, it's really important that we see that connection as we start out here in chapter 3. So look at verses 1 through 3. And he, Jesus, entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. And they, the Pharisees, watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. So this is on a Sabbath day in a synagogue. Jesus intentionally confronts the results of original sin and the responsibility of actual sins. That's what I want you to see as we get into this narrative, as we get into this episode in the life of Jesus, that Jesus is in a synagogue. He doesn't tell us which synagogue. It might have been in Capernaum. Uh, he doesn't tell us which Sabbath day. Some assume it's the same Sabbath day that ended chapter 2 as they had come through the grain fields. But Luke tells us that it was on a different Sabbath day. So Mark does not specify for us this, this uh, particular Sabbath day or the location because that's not what's most important here. The focus is on the substance of the story where Jesus is going to deal with the results of original sin and he's going to confront the responsibility of actual sins. Now, one of the God worshipers was there in the synagogue. It was a man with a withered hand. It's a very descriptive term. Actually, it means his hand was dried out. It suggests something had happened to him, not, not necessarily as having been born that way. The grammar of the text really suggests a disease. I think it suggests more an accident because it's something that permanently was acted upon this man's hand. Something happened to cause this man's hand to be uh, non-functional, to wither up. It was He could not use it. And, and I think that that's really a valuable lesson to us about the results of um, original sin. Because the things that happen to us, even that are accidental, or even diseases, those things have come about because of original sin. Even Christian believers still suffer accidents and, and uh, difficulties and um, diseases. Our body is still affected, even though we've been redeemed. We have the treasure in an earthen vessel. We are still subject to the effects of original sin, even though our actual sins have been, been forgiven. And we need to face that and realize it. And I believe this was a God worshiper, a man there in the synagogue. Jesus recognized him. He identified him. He recognized that this withered hand was a result of the effects of original sin in a fallen world. This man didn't have insurance. He didn't have any workers' comp. He was stu st stuck with trying to make his way now Whatever it might have been, whatever his uh, way of making a living was, he was hampered and hindered by that because of the effect of original sin and the withering of his hand. And Jesus recognizes that and Jesus singles him out. But this is yet another episode of the Pharisees maliciously scrutinizing Jesus with a premeditated legalistic intent of accusing him. They were self-consciously setting Jesus up for blame and condemnation by man-made rules and traditions, revealing personal responsibility for actual sins. Now, once again, the language here is very descriptive. We're told that they actually cut their eyes. They were looking askance. They were, they were, uh, you can imagine, and you've seen this before. You've seen this on people's faces. You'd be sitting in a meeting or in a group with people, and you can find when people turn sour and scornful. 
their eyes begin to squint. They cut their eyes. Sometimes they roll their eyes. And they telegraph the intentions of their heart. That's what Jesus said was happening here. And that's what Mark records, that these Pharisees were demonstrating their scorn because they were intending to set Jesus up. They expected that he would indeed heal this man. That's what they were expecting. But rather than delighting in life, rather than wondering and worshiping what Jesus is able to do, attesting to his having been sent from God the Father for soul rest, restoring the Sabbath, bringing salvation... What do they do? They squint their eyes. They cut their eyes back and forth. They're intent on finding accusations so they can legally bring Jesus to charge against the traditions and their man-made rules. So what does Jesus do? Jesus intentionally, compassionately, and courageously singles out this needy man as an object lesson for the Sabbath's good by saving life. Now, Remember back in the beginning of Mark, we we read about Jesus healing the paralyzed man. And Jesus said, which is easier to say, your sins be forgiven you or take up your bed and walk? But So that you may know that the Son of, uh, of Man has power on earth to forgive sin, has authority on earth to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins, they rightly surmised. I say to you, take up your bed and walk. And it was the Sabbath day. You remember that story? Well, Jesus healing this man's hand. I'm going to suggest this to you. I'm not going to be uh, dogmatic about it. I'm just going to tell you where my heart and mind are about uh, Jesus healing this man's withered hand. I believe when Jesus outwardly uh, healed, when he did these outward miracles of healing, raising the dead and so forth, I believe that was a testimony to the inward work of his grace in the heart of those whom he healed and raised. I believe he saved them. That's what I believe. And we're not given all the content and all the information. I told you that uh, the Gospels are not a diary. They're not some kind of day-by-day chronicle. Um, We're given episodes and we're given excerpts of teaching and preaching and of Jesus doing. But that's what I believe. I believe that when Jesus healed someone, the outward manifestation of his healing them was a demonstration of his greater inward power to save them. And so, uh, as I said, I'm not dogmatic about that. That's just something maybe to think about. Um, And we'll get into that even more because Jesus will not allow the supernatural demons to testify to his works. And so we'll talk about that in time to come. But now look at verses 4 and 5. And Jesus said to them, he says this to the Pharisees there, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. So in the midst of the synagogue crowd, Jesus publicly identifies the pledge of the Sabbath. What is lawful to do on the Sabbath? To save life or to kill life? To do good or to do evil? So Jesus publicly identifies the pledge of the Sabbath for good, for saving life, and not evil, killing life. And then Jesus demonstrates his divine authority, his power, as king-priest by judgment or salvation. So don't lose what we learned in chapter 2, that Jesus identified himself as the king-priest in waiting. And here Jesus does this... uh, this healing, but he does it in connection with identifying the purpose of the Sabbath and restoring the Sabbath, reclaiming the Sabbath, soul rest with God, demonstrating 
his authority as king and to have judgment and authority and demonstrating his being the ultimate priest making intercession and healing. So when Jesus spoke to the Pharisees here, he didn't give a, 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 a trick question. He wasn't trying to trip them up. Jesus did not pose a trick question when he says, uh, tell me, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill life? That's the question that Jesus posed, and it's not a trick. But rather, Jesus is clarifying the heart of the matter to be about whose authority has life-changing power. Is it lawful to do good, save life, to kill, doing evil? What is the Sabbath about? What is the soul of the Sabbath? What is the, the heart of the Sabbath? It really comes down to which authority is real. Is it God's law or man's law? And Jesus uses that in terms of what's lawful on the Sabbath. Is it what God says is lawful? Or is what men say is lawful? We get all turned around. We get all entangled. We get all wound up on these things. You ever? Uh, I remember as a boy uh, cutting grass on, with a lawnmower. And uh, sometimes I might run over uh, some yarn, not yarn, but uh, string that had been used to tie up beans or, or used in the garden. And if you'd run over that with the lawnmower, it'd get all wound around the blade and it would choke the, the lawnmower down. We often get all wound around the axle about things that are not the most important thing. When it comes to this question about the Sabbath and the heart and soul of the Sabbath, what it means and that's what Jesus is getting at here. What has authority? Who has authority for life-changing power? Jesus demonstrates He has authority for life-saving power because it's God's power. And He's doing it in harmony with the restoring of the soul rest that the Sabbath was the original pledge of. That we might have soul rest with God to save life. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He saves life. And so it's not man's law. And we, again, must always be aware of that. Jesus' anger and grief are expressed here over hard-heartedness. It predicts His kingly judgment against unrepentant sins. Uh, We're told this anger in Jesus was intent. He looked at them directly as they were cutting their eyes and as they were you know, nodding to one another and as they were plotting against Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus looked them dead in the eyes, straight in the eyes. He looked into their hearts by His gaze. He was angry with a holy indignation, a holy anger against the hardness of their hearts. He was grieved. He felt not some kind of vengeful anger, but the grief that was heart-wrenching knowing what they were really about in their souls and in their minds. The sinfulness of sin. How hard-hearted it is. The, the grammar of the text indicates that this hardness of heart was progressive. They were hardening. They were recalcitrant. They were resistant. They were going deeper and deeper into their resistance against God. And that grieved Jesus. But as a, a king with judgment... In holy fulfillment of God's perfections, Jesus was angry. God is angry at sin. Sin is not some trifle. We try to trivialize sin, just like we, I think we often trivialize rest. We often trivialize it with worldly cares. 
We think that we can trivialize sin into just worldly things or we can trivialize rest and peace in the easy life. But it's not about that. It's about heaven. It's about God. We must know sin and we must know soul rest in God's terms. Who God is. And reconciliation or judgment and alienation from Him. Either reconciliation or alienation from God. You see, that's what Jesus is dealing with here in terms of His kingly judgment. Well, Jesus healing this man's hand is a pledge of his priestly intercession. He judges the hardness of the Pharisees' hearts and their sin and resentment and their rebellion against God. He judges them as a king in anger and grief. But then Jesus heals this man's hand as a pledge of his priestly intercession that he heals life. He restores. He is life-giving. He has power to save and reclaim the blessing of the Sabbath. Let me ask you something. You think this man ever forgot that Sabbath day for the rest of his life? Do you think he ever missed a Sabbath worship in the synagogue if he was not providentially sick or hindered to be there? Do you think this affected this man's life in a way beyond human description? Because of the life-changing power of Christ that impacted him. What a wonder. You you think he went back to his daily life and just now he has two good hands to maybe he reclaimed what work he had done before or whatever it is. Do you think he just brushed it off? Oh man, well I'm kind of glad for that. Now I can, you know, do something else. I can, I I can... uh, have a more more fulfilled life. Do you think that's really what this was about? Jesus healed this man's hand and now he has a more fulfilled life. See, that's what the gospel's been reduced to. The gospel of man. That you can have a more fulfilled life. That you can have an easy life. That that now you've got two hands. So you can double up on doing whatever makes you happy. Beloved, that's not what affected this man's heart. I can tell you, because of the life-changing power of Jesus Christ and healing this man's hand, He was about telling people what happened. He was about demonstrating and showing. Others had witnessed to it there. Those whose hearts were not hardened in reprobation and having no judgment and and calcifying themselves against God. It was a wonder. It was a delight. It was a demonstration of the priestly intercession of Jesus Christ to bring life and to heal life and to heal the soul, and to give soul rest, the true meaning of the Sabbath. Well, that brings us then to the conclusion in verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. So leaving the synagogue, rejecting Jesus' Sabbath pledge for good and for saving life, the Pharisees plot evil. They plot killing life with the Herodians, Uh, We believe the Herodians were a political group connected with Herod. And the Pharisees and the Herodians were not friendly to one another. They had different agendas. They considered themselves to be rivals. But in this instance, uh, they are made to be uh, friends or at least to be uh, cooperative in their single focus. And that is to do what? To destroy Jesus. They each perceive Jesus as a threat. And so they set aside their differences and they come together to plot premeditated, intentional 
killing of life. They're going to plot how they can destroy Jesus. And this gives us evidence of original sin's willful reality in actual sins. Remember I told you that we're dealing with these big concepts How do we have peace with God, soul, rest? What was the original Sabbath about? And how is it that Jesus is restoring it to something better for us? And that is to have soul, rest with God, peace with God. Because He has power over original sin and He has power over actual sins and our guilt. And you see here now in the Pharisees what has happened. Original sin, born in sin, the effects of the fall upon us all. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are sinners by birth. We have inherited Adam's um, rebellion and corruption. We cannot save ourselves. We need soul rest, not soul work. And Jesus demonstrating that over and over as a king in judgment, as a priest in intercession. Now the Pharisees plot with the Herodians and they demonstrate the uh, outward working. From the results of original sin to the responsibilities of actual sin, they plot murder, they plot death, they plot how they can destroy and kill Jesus. They walk out of the synagogue on the Sabbath in violation of that essential um, summary of the law of God. Because of their covetousness. Every law of God broken because of their covetousness and their hate and spite against the Lord Jesus for doing good, for saving life, for demonstrating the power over original sin and having the God-sent ability to remove the guilt of actual sin. That's where you find soul rest with God. By the power over original sin of which you are a part and I am a part. And the ability, power, effectual working in our soul of what cannot be done humanly that must be done from the divine. It must be done from God. Jesus must be God to forgive our sins. Jesus is God. He forgives our sins. Jesus in the new covenant gospel brings us a new and better Sabbath. Jesus attests to us the fullness of soul rest with God. And he gives us the witness of the Holy Spirit by whom we are indwelt to tell us, it is well with my soul between me and God. I am reconciled through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the power of His resurrection, my sins have been buried. My sin's guilt has been buried and done away with. And nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. For the gift of the Father is life, not death. Do you have that kind of soul rest? Soul rest with God. By salvation, through reconciliation with the Creator God, The pledge of the new covenant gospel Sabbath with Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath demonstrates by supernaturally doing good, saving life, as opposed to doing evil and killing life. As we go on into chapter 3 of Mark, we'll see more of this development of the theme of a new covenant family of God by the adoption through salvation. Because we have been reconciled to God And we have a family relationship with God through Christ by the spirit of adoption. A new covenant family of God by faith. 
Our concluding hymn this morning is hymn number 558, That Man is Blessed Who...